Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We provide straightforward information by bringing excellent guests with real-world experience in all topics related to commercial real estate investing. And in today's episode, we're going to learn how to find a great general contractor for your commercial projects, what questions should you ask, what is a typical timeline for a medium to large project. Aaron Saunders has 16 years of experience in the construction and management industry. He is a managing director of Spartan Investment Group. Here we go. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to do this very first real scenario with you because I think people will benefit a lot from this episode and real conversations. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, Stephanie, thank you. I'm happy to be here and happy to provide any feedback and support that I, I can for your listeners. Uh, so a little bit about me. I, I started in the construction industry right out of of high school, and, and that kind of carried me through college, paying my way through a construction management degree, and then moving into uh, construction right after I graduated. So I've been in the construction management and leadership space for about 16 years, and I've been with Spartan Investment Group for the last year and a half. So first, I would like to start with what are some questions you recommend people asking a potential GC and how to even go about finding a good one that is specific to their location? And then we'll jump into the, the real life project. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Spartan Investment Group had hired a couple of GCs in the past. And when one of them did pretty well, uh, one of them did okay. And, and it just didn't really feel like they were meeting the expectations. And that kind of morphed into, well, what if we built this in-house? What would it look like? And what were some of the expectations that we would have if we had a general contracting arm with, with the idea that if we're treating these projects as our own projects and having the, our investors' best intentions in place, and I'm not saying other general contractors don't do that, but we felt like we could be the best stewards of our investors' money if we were really managing their projects in-house with an internal team. So with that kind of in place 18 months ago, we started to build out tools and processes. And the thought process was always coming back to what's the best way to execute a project when, when someone knocks on our door? Because ultimately we want to build all of the projects for Spartan Investment Group. But the long-term plan for Spartan Construction Management was to offer services outside of Spartan Investment Group and provide a world-class a world-class service for other development organizations, other private equity firms, smaller developers, all the way up through large shops. So with that in mind, we, we invested in you know, some large, large tech platforms such as Procore to make sure we really had the right tools in place to execute our projects. When we took our whole team through PMP certification so that we could get some additional training. And then we've just continued to build out our team to make sure we have the skill sets in-house. So bringing that full circle to answer your question, you know, what are some things to look for when you're trying to identify a general contractor is, is look at their history, look at their resume, look at the projects that they've completed. And you may see that, hey, this general contractor doesn't have the specific projects that I'm looking for, but, but ask them, do people on your team have a resume from other organizations that you've brought over that have executed something similar to this? 
So look for that portfolio of projects, ask for recommendations from architects, and that will help you narrow down your search as you identify a GC or maybe multiple GCs that you want to work with. And then I'd say the next step would be to sit down, interview them, and make sure that your scope of work really aligns with what they do and and the expectations that they have for the project. Because ultimately, they may be a good contractor, good, good general contractor, and be able to build you know, a certain type of product really well, but they may not align with the expectations that you have um, as a developer. And if that's the case, then, it, you know, it's time to move on. But that's where I would say identify three or so and interview each one of them. Go take a look at some of their current projects that are active, interview some of their subcontractors, and then also look at some of their projects that they've completed in the past and ask for references for those developers that they worked for in the past. So, You can interview current projects and see how they're going, but also how did they complete projects in the past and and what did those look like? So let's jump into a potential project so you can determine if it is, you know, a good fit for what you guys do, not get it, give an estimate, but see what can come out of this conversation so people understand how, how these conversations can go. So for example, we have a self-storage facility that we're trying to expand and uh, we can do about 20,000 more square feet in the facility and we are looking for next steps. What kind of uh, details should we give you? Yeah, so there's quite a few questions and the first thing that we do as part of our due diligence process is understand the permitting and entitlement side of a project and And that really starts with what's the current zoning? Does the current zoning allow for the expansion or was the existing facility governed in under under previous zoning or maybe there was no zoning? So we're going to start looking there first. So we'll we'll jump on the website. We'll go through uh, the zoning code. We'll identify, yes, it's currently zoned for self-storage or many warehouses. The next step would be, okay, it's not zoned for this, but it requires a conditional use permit or a special use permit. And what are the steps required to execute that conditional use permit or special use permit? So we'll pencil that out on a timeline and understand the requirements of the, the development committee with the within the municipality. And then we'll bring that full circle and, and give them a call and talk through them. You know, how amenable is the, the community to self-storage? Are developments getting pushed through? Are they getting approved? Do you want additional business? What is the climate like in the community there? So, and then the next step will be to review the existing survey that you have. If you received one when you purchased the property, we'll try to identify what the setbacks are and and really know the parameters of, can we really get 20,000 square feet in there with, with our current setbacks? We'll review the development code and understand what are the landscaping requirements And then we'll start to bring in um, some professionals as far as a civil engineer and start looking at some rough layouts on a site layout. We'll use that to get back in front of the the development committee with the city or the AHJ and yeah, kind of take the process through there. But really what we want to do on step one is you've identified you want 20,000 square feet. We want to make sure that we can really deliver that without putting out too much effort. Because if it comes back that the city is absolutely not going to approve it, then maybe we look at changing that that scope of work or or what we want to build there. Or if the setbacks just compress the size of your building where it just doesn't feasibly make sense, 
we want to know those things earlier than later before we spend a lot of money with design and engineering, um, if it's ultimately going to kill the project anyway. And let's say the city passes all of this, uh, it is zoned for whatever asset class we're building, what is next? And how do you assemble a team in a city that you may not have done business with in the past? Yeah. So first thing we'll do is we'll reach out to some of our industry partners that we're working with currently, find out if they've worked in that city, who's a good civil engineer to work with in that city. The, the nice thing about having a local civil engineer is that they know the city, they understand the process, they understand a lot of the soil types in that city and how we want to build our, our building. If they haven't done self-storage before, we'll kind of coach them a little bit on, on what our typical building structures look like, that we don't need a large deep foundation, obviously, depending on the geotechnical report. Let them know what the parameters of our, our building uh, requirements are. Um, but yeah, first, it's going to be identifying that civil engineer and starting to build there. And then it depends are you going to be building a multi-story facility? Do we need an architect on board? Is it going to be a single story facility where we can go to one of our building manufacturers and they can provide us building elevations? Um, but backing up a little bit, I guess the next step would be sitting down with you as the owner and saying, all right, you, you want 20,000 square feet. What is that going to look like? Is that going to be single story drive up non-climate controlled units? Or do you want to do 20,000 square feet of climate control? Do you want to have drive up units that are accessible uh, from your drive aisles that are climate controlled? Um, or do you want the, all of your units to be accessed from inside the building? You know, drive up climate control is pretty hot right now. So the recommendation from our side would be if you can pay a little bit more for insulated doors and it's still pencils on your side, that that would be probably the way to go, but every area is different. And just knowing the demand and what the price per square foot rents are to make sure that it's a feasible project. And then what are some other questions that a potential owner should be asking you at, the, at that point in time? Yeah. So I guess as we take that project through the design portion of maybe a design build process, um, if we're being reached out to for the full service, then we can provide that, um, or a lot of GCs can provide those design build services, or you, we can turn you on to an architect to take the project through that full design phase and bring that full circle back to us where we can do just the build for you. What I would recommend is identifying a general contractor that can do that design build project for you. So they keep all that communication and all that knowledge on the project in-house. So as that project moves from design through permitting, through pre-construction and out to the field for project execution. It's all the same team that's executing on that. And that knowledge transfer is consistent throughout the same organization. I see a lot of knowledge transfer gaps between architects that send projects out for bid and then there's gaps in scope of work. And ultimately the developer or the private equity group has to bear the burden of those, those gaps in scope of work. So ensuring that you have all your bases covered and going with a design build firm, full GC that can wrap all those, those deliverables into one group makes a lot of sense. So questions to ask as we're building this are any unknowns on the, the property that you have? Do you have a geotech report? Did you get a geotechnical report pulled when you, when you purchased the land to understand can we actually build on this additional land? And if not, that would be something that we'd want to engage pretty quickly uh, with a geotechnical firm, have them go out, take some borings, provide a report of what the soil types are there and recommended foundation types. 
we'll take that report and provide it to our um, our civil engineer. Um, we'll also provide it to our building manufacturer, and then they'll typically subcontract out the structural engineering for the structural foundations. And we'll start to put all the pieces together. We'll engage a, a mechanical electrical plumbing engineering firm, and we'll have them start to design. And then as we build out that scope of work, we'll start populating our full estimate. And we have a, a master estimate template that kind of has everything and anything that you could want on your project included in there. And we'll start going through and, and filling in estimated values for, for each individual scope of work that you have on your project. That'll give you a conceptual estimate as we go through that initial design phase. And then as we really finalize that design and get that detailed design, then we can start putting bid packages together, sending everything out to get firm pricing. And we'll bring that firm pricing back into our estimate. If there's anything that's outstanding that we just can't get a firm price on because it's still in design and we want to start moving forward with the project, we'll put an allowance in there. And then we'll also have a contingency on the project so that you're protected of any with any changes within that scope of work. I have a question re with regards to materials. Let's say that there's potential theft uh, when the materials are delivered and they're waiting for them to be put in place, who is responsible for that? And how do we make sure that this is in the contract? Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to material theft or damage of any material on site, you really want to make sure that your general contractor has insurance in place. So general liability, excess liability, builder's risk insurance, and that builder's risk insurance is really going to protect from a natural disaster theft, a major issue on site that's going to specifically affect your materials once they hit the ground. So paying a little bit for that builder's risk policy that your general contractor is going to carry could go a long way in case there is theft or hurricane or tornado or whatever it is. A lot of things happen and and you want to think that, well, it's not going to happen on my project, but um, we still want to make sure we have the insurance in place just in case. Can you tell us one or two horror stories in your career? So I don't have any specific from my career, but I have heard quite a few horror stories from the previous employer that I was with. He had um, a large generator. It's a Wardzilla engine that's part of a peaker plant that was coming in on rail. And as they were loading it from rail to the boat, it fell off the boat and dumped into the bay. So it was a, a pretty big issue and not having the right builders risk insurance or insurance policy or shipping terms in place can really impact a project with not only lead times, but replacement costs and all the indirect costs associated with, with a major loss like that. And, and when we're looking at our buildings and um, self-storage buildings, our losses are much smaller, but when we look at them as a percentage of our overall project cost, it's still a pretty big impact to the project. And ultimately the goal is to get units rentable as soon as possible so that the developer can start generating some revenue and any delay in material, damaged material, loss in material just impacts that ability to rent those units on the back end of a project. 100%. That was awesome. And with regards to time frame, let's say someone determines who the GC will be, how long does a typical 20,000 square feet and maybe 100,000 square feet as well project would take from beginning to end? Yeah, that's kind of a loaded question without knowing the process and the current zoning. So sure. if it's let's uh, say it's zoned already, not counting yeah, the yeah. zoning. So perfect scenario. We have a project that has no zoning and we purchased 
the facility the end of last year and we broke ground in april went through design four months had the the project ready to go and yeah so that's probably the fastest timeline we've seen projects we did a very large development in black diamond washington and i think the entitlements process on that project took about four years so uh, it was not zoned it was a conditional use permit plus we went through multiple rounds of design uh, and permitting so I think if we compress that down, probably could have gotten it a little bit quicker, but uh, a lot of challenges to overcome. And, and it really depends on where you want to build. Do you want to build somewhere that has no zoning and you can expedite the process and build your facility and break ground in four months? Um, that's great, but your competitor can also do the same thing across the street. And if you move into a place like Black Diamond, Washington, where we built our facility there, where it's extremely hard to get zoning approval and get an expansion or a new development built, it also limits your competition in the market. Absolutely. That was awesome, Aaron. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you think is important for our audience to know? I think the biggest thing is just the education on on the development side on what you want to build, what your expectations for the project are, you know, like you talked about, what's the expectation for the timeline and cost. That's where that interview process is really powerful and interview a couple of different general contractors, do your homework, do your research on your development project. So you have a good understanding of what your, what your requirements should be, and you're not setting expectations that are unachievable by either party. That's just going to set the project up for failure. And that's the last thing that anybody wants. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, they can shoot me an email. My email is Aaron, that's A-A-R-O-N at Spartan-Investors.com. And yeah, send me an email there and I'll get back to you. Anything I can do to support your projects, we're here to help. Thank you very much, Aaron. Thank you. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at MonteCarloREI.com. If you are interested in investing in our next syndication, please fill out the interest form that will be under show notes at the bottom of the notes. And we will let you know when that comes out in a few days. And I will see you next time.